Welcome everyone to Couch Potato Diary. It is a Fights and Football Friday. My name is Peter Klein. You can find me on social media, Twitter and Instagram. I'm at PrimetimeKlein, twitch.tv slash PrimetimePK. And you can email the show CouchPotatoDiary at yahoo.com. Coming up on the show today, the number one overall pick in the NFL draft is traded. And we got some fights to make after UFC 285. Thank you all so much for tuning in today. Hi, I'm Kim Carson. And I'm Peter Klein, and this is We Had No Idea. A podcast about world events that you know about. But might have fallen asleep for during history class. Or social studies, however you learned history in high school. Each week we'll do a deep dive into important topics throughout history. So whether you already know everything or feel like you need to top up on some history, we'll be here for you. Listen to us each week wherever you get your podcasts. Woo! All right, let's start in the NFL. Uh, We have a giant trade. Um, I look forward to doing the trade tree on this one in about four years. Um, We did that on uh, Wednesday's show going over uh, Patrick Mahomes getting traded from Kansas City and how it eventually involved 15 teams. Uh, This one's a doozy. The Carolina Panthers move up from nine to number one. They get the first overall pick. Um, Chicago gets the ninth overall pick, the 61st overall pick, and a first round pick in 2024, 2025, and DJ Moore. So... The Bears make out like absolute bandits in this trade. Let's start with the Bears side of this. Um, They end up falling into that number one spot on the last day of the regular season. And the second that happened, everyone was like, okay, this pick is getting traded. It was just a matter of where. And I initially, when I heard Carolina at nine, I was like, man, that's going to need to be a lot. Because the way it stacked up, they could have traded picks with Carolina just like the fourth pick. Like they could have... had a, a thing with the Houston Texans. Like, look, you guys think you got this dude. I think the Colts might want him too. You should move up here. So, you then get a, a a haul of assets from the Texans. And then, you're at two. It's like, well, Colts, I mean, you don't want to let... I mean, you know, they're getting a quarterback. Do you really want the other another quarterback? And now you're taking the third best guy at four? Maybe? I think you should trade up. And you get some assets from them too. And then you could trade a Carolina to, to leapfrog the Raiders or whatever. You could have painted whatever narrative you wanted. And, and the, the Bears could have got a ton of assets. The fact that they still get a top 10 pick, a late second round pick, and DJ Moore, and Carolina's first. Like, look, Carolina, I just, I, look, look, I mean... To, to break down one side or the other is difficult because you have kind of competing things here. Um, the 2024 first, I think, could be incredibly valuable. You have a Carolina team that is now more than likely going into this with a rookie quarterback starting from day one. And they just traded their best receiver away. Where do they think they're going to be good? And so for the Bears, you have... We, we, on the, the the show the other day, we talked about foundational pieces. Maybe not like the, these are your core, but foundational pieces. You have a chance to get three, maybe four, maybe five out of this whole thing, right? There, there isn't not a dud in the bunch when you look at ninth overall pick, 61st overall pick. In the NFL, that could be a pretty good pick. Second round pick in 2025 for this team, who knows? First round pick in 2024... I have no reason to believe that won't be an incredibly high pick for the Bears. And then you get DJ Moore, who 
was turning into one of the best receivers to never have a good quarterback. He was getting Allen Robinson. And now he goes to the Bears. And now you have a Bears team who probably overpaid to go out and acquire Chase Claypool. I think they've made up for it now by getting these assets back. They get a second-round pick. It is almost 30 picks later than the, the second-round pick they gave up to, to get Chase Claypool, which does look like an overpay. But I do think Claypool slots in really well as a number two. And I think DJ Moore can be a number one. So now, all of a sudden, you have, um, with this Bears team, you have a couple of running backs. One, maybe a bit more dynamic than the other, but two running backs you can trust. You have two... I would say quality wide receivers, although the, the jury is still a little bit out on, on Chase Claypool and admittedly probably a bit on DJ Moore as well. And you have still the ninth overall pick, the 61st overall pick in this year's draft to be able to go out and either solidify the defense, solidify the offensive line. This is perfect from the Chicago Bears. For Carolina, I don't have the foggiest of clues what they are doing um, because like, I, th I haven't done deep dives on all these guys yet. CJ Stroud, Bryce Young, uh, Will Levis, and uh, the, the Richardson kid out of Florida. I don't know if any of them are worth this. You know, like, I, I get if you think you have found your franchise quarterback, then you go out and move heaven and earth to get a franchise quarterback. I just don't know if it's in this draft, you know? And we were saying going into last year, like, oh yeah, maybe you tank and get one of the, the, the good quarterbacks in the, the upcoming draft class. Now that class is here, uh, you're kind of looking at Caleb Williams next year, <laughs> you know? And it's like, oh, that might not be a bad way to go. So I, I just, I don't look at any of these guys as game changers to a point where it is worth giving up five quality assets for. This isn't, oh, they gave up eight picks. Yeah, well, four of them were... Two th or in like the seventh round four years from now. No, these are all quality picks in the next three years that could come back to royally bite the, the, the Carolina Panthers here. Like, I just, I don't know if any of those guys are the game changers. And I, I just, I thought we learned, or we should have anyway learned a lesson from last year. You see who killed it in the draft last year. Giants had a real good draft. Hey, look at that quick turnaround they made it to the postseason. Now, they signed Daniel Jones to a really bad contract that I think will set the franchise back, but that's not the debate right now. You have, so you have the Giants, crushed it in the draft. You have the Jets, had an amazing draft. Look at that, they're now a quarterback away from being a real threat in the AFC, at least in the AFC East. Seattle, nailed the draft. And they make a run to the postseason that no one saw coming. You know what all of those teams had in common? Didn't reach for a quarterback. Didn't have to last year. Wasn't the draft for it, right? Building, like, again, when you get the chance to get the franchise guy, you just, you get it. You know, no one was looking at, no one's looking at Kansas City and going, yeah, well, glad they were the ones who moved up and got Patrick Mahomes. Like, that. that's not... That's not the case, you know? Um, so when, when you have a chance to get the guy, you get him. And this is the hard part about, um, I guess, team building and drafting in the National Football League is how do you know when you have the guy, right? And that's that's where teams kind of stumble a little bit. Indianapolis, who is in a position now where they might be the third quarterback needy team to, uh, to, to be selecting. So they are in a world of hurt right now. And... 
they have tried, they thought they had the guy in Andrew Luck, and then he retires out of nowhere, and all of a sudden they're trying to, to piece this thing together. A lot of people are assuming now they're just going to be like, fuck it, we got to get a quarterback. Well, now they might get the third best quarterback. And that is not great. <laughs> so it's, but to, to go back to the original point, when the guy isn't there, I was really hoping last year would establish like, hey, don't reach. If you don't think CJ Stroud is the number one overall pick, don't take him. If you don't think Bryce Young is the number one overall pick, don't take him. If you think the, um, now there are a lot of very horrifying allegations around Jalen Carter, but if you think he's the dude and that includes off the field as well, you take him. You know, like that you build the foundation so that when the play, when the young quarterback comes in, it's not like Trevor Lawrence for a couple, for a year and a bit in Jacksonville. It's more, okay, we've established things we have built around it. And now it's whatever quarterback goes into the jets and it is whatever quarterback eventually goes into the Seattle system. So I, I just, I don't like this at all from a, a Carolina perspective. I get wanting to have to do something. But I don't like this from a Carolina standpoint at all. Um, a couple of the other, I guess, winners of this. I think pretty obviously the Arizona Cardinals are now the winner of this, I suppose. Um, because you look now at number one, you have a team that's going to want to draft a quarterback. At number two, you have a team that's going to want to draft a quarterback. So now, instead of getting the second-to-best non-quarterback, you get the best. And whether you think that is Will Anderson, if you think that is Jalen Carter, um, we'll see. What, whichever one they, they, they think it is. But you now get the cream of the crop when it comes to that. Or you now have a very valuable trade chip um, to, to, to be had. I think the Colts are a huge loser in this whole thing, because the, the way it was sitting was either they, they had a chance to move up to one, maybe, but now you have two quarterback needy teams ahead of you. And so I, I think now the Colts are a loser in this, and I think the Raiders are a loser in this as well, because now a, a quarterback needy team has just leapfrogged everyone. You know, when it, when it was the Raiders at seven, and it was Chicago at one, it was, okay, well, the Colts are going to move up to one. Who cares? We're not getting leapfrogged by a team that needs a quarterback. Well, now you have. And now there is a very real possibility that you're getting the fourth quarterback here. Or what does Seattle want to do? What does Detroit want to do? Do they take this opportunity to be able to draft a young quarterback and have a year or two of development with that player in a position where they're hoping they're never going to be again? And that's with a, a fifth or sixth overall pick. So I think the Raiders really come out of this in a, a particularly shitty spot right now because they are in an area where they have just let go of their quarterback. Um... It seemed like one of the main options to go to Vegas as the quarterback was Aaron Rodgers, and it seems like that's the Jets now. So it, it does seem like the dominoes have fallen in a really, really poor way for the Vegas Raiders. But I I would be stunned if this is the last wheeling and dealing that we see in the NFL draft between now and draft day. Um, I guess a little over a month away from now? When is the NFL draft? April 27th. Oh, so about... like. Month and a half from now, we'll say, is the, uh, the the NFL draft. All right, so that is the NFL. I, I mentioned before the Taylor Jones contract. That this was that this must have been a great season to be a Giants fan. I'm sure you made a run to the playoffs. Got the hell beat out of you by Philadelphia, but you made a run to the playoffs. 
And I get it saying, look, this quarterback took you to division around. I promise you he's not any good. Daniel Jones is not the guy that is going to make up for whatever shortcomings your roster is going to have to have to have a cap hit that likes of which Daniel Jones has now. Like he, he is, we talk about trucks and trailers from the Move the Six podcast. Daniel Jones is a trailer, all right? I, I, don't, I don't know if there's truck in that guy. And so I think this is a real misstep from the Giants, but one that admittedly Daniel Jones played his way into. He was great. And maybe he continues to progress and him and Brian Dayaball go happily ever after to do multiple championships in the NFC East. But this feels like exactly what everyone would have wanted them to do. And need I remind you, the NFC East schedule this year was not overly daunting. Um, when we take a look at who the Giants played this season, let's let's pull this up here real quick. I, look, I'm preparing to be wrong on this. Um, all right, so yes, they beat the Vikings. We're all very proud of you for that. Uh, beat the Titans. Eh. Beat the Panthers. Okay. Lost to the Cowboys. Beat the Bears. They just had the first overall pick. Beat the Packers. Not very good. Beat the Ravens. That's a win. Beat the Jags. That's an okay win. Lost to Seattle. Beat the Texans. Oh, boy. Lost to the Lions. Lost to the Cowboys. Tied the Commanders. Lost to the Eagles. Beat the Commanders. Beat the Colts. So we have one, maybe two real wins on that schedule this year. And then a playoff win against the Minnesota Vikings team that everyone knew was a house of cards. This felt like the perfect storm for the New York Giants to get duped into something that sets their franchise back, and they bought it, hook, line, and sinker. All right, kind of get to the fighting portion of Fights in Football Friday. Some of the music on Couch Potato Diary is provided by Wasted Talent. Find their producer on Instagram at Tommy Fresh Music. Putting the final bow on UFC 285 coverage. Um, getting ready for a sneaky good UFC card this weekend. But let's put the, the final wrap on UFC 285 with some fights to make coming out of that UFC 285. Uh, a reminder, if you missed it, John Jones wins the heavyweight championship against Cyril Gaon. That match is obvious. It is John Jones against Stipe Miocic, and it's an international fight week. That, boom, ready for you. Probably not going to actually happen in international fight week, but it would be like that. That just, if you could plan it perfectly, that's the way that it would all go down. Um, next, uh, Cyril Gaon coming off of a very disappointing loss and one of the worst title fight performances since Damian Maya, uh, back at, what was that, UFC, like, 112 or something like that in Abu Dhabi where Anderson Silva was dancing around for a while. Um, th that was just such a poor showing for Cyril Gaon. I, at this point, I need to see your commitment to this, and I'm, I'm almost forcing you to be committed I'm putting you in a fight with Curtis Blades. Um, I think Blades, the best wrestler in the heavyweight division. I am now forcing Cyril Gaon, look, step up. Like, you you need to train this, and you need to show me that you have made real commitments in this area before I'm going to go out and just grant you any more opportunities like this. You really have to work your way back into that circle of trust um, and uh, a way to do that would be to beat the best wrestler in the heavyweight division in Curtis Blade. So it's a bit of a punishment, to be perfectly honest with you. Alexa Grasso and Valentina Shevchenko, that one's easy. 
it's Shevchenko against Grasso again after Grasso wins the championship. I, again, legitimately. But Valentina Shevchenko, the only person to, to successfully defend that championship, I think has earned a rematch. The one way where it doesn't come in is now that Valentina Shevchenko is not burdened by the responsibility of being a champion anymore, do you give the Amanda Nunes look one more time? Shevchenko came close to beating Nunez twice. There are people who would say that she actually has beat Amanda Nunez. So, why not? Well, the, the one why not would be she literally just lost. And so that does take a little bit of the luster off of it. Which is annoying as fuck when it's brought up for this fight, but Conor McGregor can go out and get his ass kicked by like a 12-year-old and still get the next title shot. Like, come on! We're all of it with this one. With this fight. A fight that could define a generation. Now we're going to play. Ah, she's coming off of a loss. Really? Really? Get out of here with that. Like, we are so far past. We're making up titles and shit, right? Like, we're so far past. Well, I mean, you have to have a win going into this fight. Yeah. I think we kind of blew that one out of the water a while ago. So, let's just... That I think that would actually be the time. Like Nunez can now, or Valentina can really focus on potentially move up to 135 pounds and put all of her focus into Amanda Nunez, and then you get a very exciting fight with Aaron Blanchfield against Alexa Grasso. That almost seems like the best of both worlds. You can do a countdown thing and build up Valentina Shevchenko as just this dominant champion who just happened to get caught, and now she is looking to avenge a loss that has eaten her alive for years and years and years as she goes up against the GOAT in female mixed martial arts, Amanda Nunes, looking to take that crown for herself. Like, it, easy, done, boom, print money, move on to the next one. Um, I do like the idea of the UFC doing uh, a triple header in Mexico City. I understand the elevation there is just brutal, but I, I don't believe that with Yair, with um, Moreno, and with Alexa Grasso, we're, we're not dealing with Cain Velasquez here. Um, we're not dealing with heavyweight bodies. We are dealing with people on the smaller end. So I think it works. Uh, the last one here, Shafkat Rachmanov. The, to me, the obvious one is Colby Covington. I don't think Shafkat is ready for a championship, but I think this is a fight that he wins. And I think this propels him into superstardom. Colby plays a gigantic piece of shit on television. There are people saying, oh, it's just a character. Well, he's doing a hell of a job of playing a real piece of shit character. And so, but the one thing with Colby is that he talks people into the building to steal an old pro, pro wrestling term. I think he'd be able to do that with Shafkot. I think he would be able to make him a star. And I think Shafkot beats the shit out of him, uh, which would be something that I personally would enjoy. But also, I do believe that this would be something that would elevate Shafkot. So those are the four fights I'd be looking to make after UFC one era, sorry, one, 285. Um, although it is crazy to me though, you know, UFC, I remember, like, anything past UFC, like, when it was getting into the 130s, I was like, fuck, man, this is getting really high. I was like, UFC 149 in Calgary? This is crazy how, like, many of these are. And now it's, like, 285. Like, we're we're, fifth, we're a year and a half away from 300 for the, the UFC. It's crazy. Crazy. Um, coming up this weekend, a really, really, really interesting fight in the UFC's bantamweight division as the former champion, Piotr Jan, takes on Marab Dvalashvili. I have really liked Devalishvili. If you've listened to me cover this sport um, with any 
detail, you'll know I, I've been a fan of this guy's for a little bit, and he is on that run now. Lost to Ricky Simone back in 2018 and has rattled off wins over Tarion Ware, Brad Katona, Casey Kenny, whatever, um, Gustavo Lopez, but then John Dodson, Cody Stamen, Marlon Marais, and most recently, Jose Aldo. Now, real underwhelming fight in that that Jose Aldo one. That that was a bit of a uh that was a bit of a letdown. Going up against Piotr Jan, who lost a split decision to Sean O'Malley, lost a split decision to Aljamain Sterling, beat Cody Sanhag or Corey Sanhagen, sorry, um, and then lost to Aljamain Sterling by disqualification. Piotr Jan at his best, I think, beats Marab. We don't know if Piotr Jan is at his best. And we don't know if the, the last Marab that we saw is the best Marab or if there is more to go. Marab Dvalashvili, 32 years old, um, growing up in Georgia, not the country, or not the, the state, the country. This is such an intriguing fight for me um, in the Bantamweight division. I think Marab might get the job done in this one. Do we have odds on this? We're not going to do an official uh, today's ticket on this, but do we have... The odds for Marab against Piorion. Oh, Marab's a plus 220 underdog. That feels that feels like pretty good odds to get for uh for Marab. The <laughs> over on um rounds at four and a half is minus two thirteen. So they're fairly convinced this is gonna go to the judges' scorecards. But Marab plus two twenty, I think, is really, really good value for this UFC fight night card. There is also Alexander Volkov against Alexander uh, Romanov. You have Ryan Spann who just fought not too long ago going up against Nikita Krylov. Um, Said Nurmagomedov against Jonathan Martinez, and we, we start to lose some steam here, but a couple of interesting fights. Rafael Sunsau still doing the damn thing. He is on the undercard. So there's a couple intriguing fights on this UFC card coming up this weekend, and then we get into the big one, UFC 286, March 18th. That is next weekend with uh, Leon Edwards taking on Kamaru Usman and John, uh, Justin Gaethje taking on Rafael Fiziev. Um, that one in the lightweight division, couple fun fights there for sure. This is going to be, this isn't the same stacked card we had the last time, but this is a pretty good card for the, the ultimate fighting championship as they go to the O2 arena in London, England. All right. That is the show. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Um, as mentioned before, you can find me on social media, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm at primetime Klein. twitch.tv was just there. Um, earlier today, doing a um, a stream on what would it look like if we were to blow up the Calgary Flames. So we did that, and uh, a whole lot more is coming on twitch.tv slash primetimepk. Thank you all so much for downloading. Thank you all so much for listening, and I will talk to you all later. I'm out.